Welcome to Sunrise, your weekday podcast bringing you a fresh squeeze into Florida's news, politics, and culture. Governor Ron DeSantis says the special session beginning November 15th will, among other things, fortify the Parents' Bill of Rights. So that will address uh, making sure parents uh, have, the, have the right with respect to, to any type of, of medical decisions, including, including wearing a mask. Meanwhile, union groups are concerned that calls to pull out of OSHA during special session will risk the health and safety of millions. For the same state government to now say they want to pull everybody else in Florida out of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. That's terrifying because they've already shown that they have no interest and no commitment to put something in its place. And one journalist digs and finds more than one-third of congressional candidates across Florida have failed to file mandatory financial disclosure reports. Who they owe that money to because if those people come knocking on their doors as they're in office, are they beholden to a voter or are they beholden to those interests. Today's Sunrise interview is with Teresa King, president of Florida Building and Construction Trade Council, and Rich Templin, director of politics and public policy with the Florida AFL-CIO. They are both concerned about calls from Republican legislative leaders for the state to drop out of the nation's workplace safety agency. We will also hear from Fresh Take Florida reporter Corbin Bolas, whose reporting uncovered dozens of Florida's congressional candidates failing to turn in mandatory financial reports. We've got all that, including other top stories trending around the state and capital. Plus, we have your calendar of political events and so much more. But first, a word from our sponsor. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics. Following is a paid political advertisement paid for by Florida Education Champions. Online sports betting, it's legal and it's coming to Florida. With passage of our amendment next year, any tax revenues collected are required to supplement the Florida Educational Enhancement Trust Fund. Hundreds of millions of dollars in new revenue for students and teachers, with more choices and competition for Florida consumers. Be a champion today. Learn more and request your petition at floridaeducationchampions.com. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, November 1st. Today is National Family Literacy Day, Authors Day, and this one is interesting, National Cook for Your Pets Day. On this day in 1800, U.S. President John Adams became the first president to live in the White House when he moved in. In 1952, the United States exploded the first hydrogen bomb in the Marshall Islands. And in 1994, the Amazon.com domain name was registered. The special session on vaccine mandates is officially set. Thankfully, it appears legislative leaders were able to rein the governor in on his demands and they settled on calling the special session during an already scheduled committee week of November 15th until at least November 19th to primarily tackle what they describe as unfair discrimination on the basis of COVID-19 vaccination status and unsure robust enforcement for this protection. That was a quote. The call includes fortifying the parents' bill of rights, and so that will address uh, making sure parents uh, have the have the right with respect to to any type of of medical decisions, including including wearing a mask. But then also making sure that parents have a right to not have their healthy child quarantined in accordance with the uh, Florida DOH rule. House Speaker Chris Sprouls and Senate President Wilton Simpson issued a joint statement of support, saying over the last two years, Floridians have 
watch the freedoms of our friends and relatives get stripped away one at a time. We will not stand by as the Biden administration imposes an illegal and unconstitutional nationwide vaccine mandate that robs the American people of the dignity of work. Meanwhile, two of Florida's largest school districts are easing up on their mask requirements this week. Starting today, Orange County students can stop wearing masks if their parents provide a note opting them out. In Broward County, high school students can choose to wear masks and it's strongly encouraged. However, it's still mandatory for middle and elementary school students. In our first Sunrise interview today, we're joined by Teresa King, President of Florida Building and Construction Trade Council, and Rich Templin, Director of Politics and Public Policy with the Florida AFL-CIO. They are both concerned about calls from Republican legislative leaders for the state to drop out of the nation's workplace safety agency known as OSHA. OSHA is actually two, two things. It's both a law and an, an agency established to implement, enforce, and penalize when the law is broken. The law itself does allow states to establish their own enforcement and inspection, etc., mechanisms. However, it is a very complicated process. It involves creating uh, state agencies that would, you know, take take tens of millions, if not more, of taxpayer money. And it also requires the drafting of very, very specific plans to make sure that the law OSHA at the federal level is being followed and being enforced. Um, and at the end of the day, it is the federal Department of Labor that gives the approval for any of those, any of those plans. So our concern right now is that the, the state of Florida may be embarking on a really monumental exercise uh, in, in a hastily called politically motivated special session. And if we don't get this right, uh, we're looking at jeopardizing the health and safety of millions of, uh, of workers uh, here in the state of Florida. So, Teresa King, what did you think of when you heard of this possibility of, of trying to pull the state from OSHA? I was terrified for the construction industry in particular and the safety of the members, uh, the workers on these construction sites. When the moment you walk onto a construction site, you're already walking onto a safety hazard. And these laws are in place to keep our workers safe from overreach, safe from contractors or even the clients that we work for, trying to push for faster production times, et cetera. And we're talking about the health of each person where wherever we go in the construction industry, we work together with the clients and the people that they hire. And we have to work side by side with people that we don't even know sometimes. And we can be safe, including our health. But if the people that we are working next to within the client system are not, then we need to have that final background, that OSHA standard 
that we can rely on to, to mandate that we are able to work in a safe environment. So this, again, is of such a broad overreach, it would, it would totally dis, disrupt the safety mechanisms that are in place, that are known, that we have in the construction industry and with the clients that we work for when we go onto their property to work and to strip safety mechanisms away from our industry would be disastrous. So Rich, I see, as you mentioned, the hastily put together ideas and one floating around is creating a new state-run agency to do what OSHA currently does. What did you make of that? Well, look, what these state leaders are doing is they are politically upset over a tiny, tiny little piece of the overall OSHA picture, and that is vaccine mandates. And let's be clear, we have not even seen the rule from OSHA about how those vaccine mandates will be implemented, how, how they'll be carried out, what penalties there will be. We haven't seen any of that yet. All we know is the president of the United States intention to, uh, through OSHA, as is proper, uh, institute a new safety standards when it comes to vaccines. We don't know anything beyond that. So because of their political anger with that one tiny little piece that as of now is just a pledge from the president of the United States and nothing more, they are willing to completely upend the health and safety systems that currently exist in the state of Florida. And so this is folly. If there is a plan put in place where all of the stakeholders have an opportunity to weigh in, and this would be a long, complicated process to do the proper due diligence. Until that happens, we should not be even be considering trying to remove ourselves from the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Special thanks to Teresa King, president of Florida Building and Construction Trade Council, and Rich Templin with the Florida AFL-CIO. The University of Florida is prohibiting three professors from providing expert testimony in a lawsuit challenging a new law that critics claim restricts voting rights, saying it goes against the school's interest by conflicting with the administration of Governor Ron DeSantis. In a statement Saturday, the university said allowing professors Dan Smith, Michael McDonald, and Sharon Austin to serve as paid expert plaintiffs challenging the law would be adverse to the university's interests as a state of Florida institution. However, they can participate as long as they are unpaid. In our second Sunrise interview, Fresh Take Florida reporter Corbin Bolas dug into some financial disclosure records and found more than one-third of congressional candidates across Florida running in next year's elections, including 22 Republicans and 15 Democrats, have failed to file mandatory financial disclosure reports that would reveal where they earned their money, where they invested, or to whom they owe personal debts. Corbin Bolas joins the program. So in reaching out to a number of candidates across Florida's congressional districts, we found that 
a number of candidates, 22 Republicans and 15 Democrats, had not filed or been able to successfully file their financial disclosure reports. So what that entails is that there's a difference between the quarterly filings filed with the Federal Election Commission. These reports detail their own personal finances, uh, who they owe their money to, where they get their money from, and that's supposed to be made to the House clerk, the House of Representatives clerk. It's a bit wonky. It definitely gets into some finer details, but they're both necessary documents for the sake of transparency. You mentioned that it's a bit wonky, even so in the sense that when you approach these candidates, they weren't really sure that they were out of compliance or not really sure what they were supposed to do? Yeah, some candidates I reach out to acknowledge that it was an oversight. They acknowledge that they didn't know they were supposed to submit those documents. They needed some clarification as to what those documents were. Uh, one candidate I spoke to was almost a bit frustrated that I even brought this up and accused them of missing something. But like I said, this is a bit more of a niche document. It's not something that's as easily accessible, such as a FEC filing. This is something that, while it's a bit more obscure, it's something that is necessary for candidates to file. Now, what's the penalty for those that you brought this to their attention? What, what are they at risk of for being out of compliance? The maximum criminal penalty is up to a year in prison and a criminal fine of about $62,000. For a civil fine, the criminal pe penalty is a fine of up to $62,000. These are in the most extreme cases, but candidates do run the risk of either refusing to file it or falsifying doc uh, information on them. Now, if they file it late, they are subject to a fine too. So give me some names. Who is either out of compliance or who is working on making sure that they, they get up to speed to correct what you found? So candidates that we found have not been in compliance include State Representative Omari Hardy. When I spoke to him, he acknowledged that it was an oversight and plans to submit one. And he's been in the Florida House since last year. He knows politics. He's been in this uh, in this arena. So once you're trying to advance to a higher political status, you're supposed to understand the rules involved with that. And he acknowledged that he said he's working on that. A Republican candidate I spoke to is Martin Hyde. He is running to unseat Vern Buchanan in Sarasota. When I reached out to him, he pointed me to his FPC filings that he filed that early. And while he did file that early, again, there is that distinction between FEC quarterly filings and the House financial disclosure form. I did bring that to his attention and explain that difference, which he acknowledged, then asked me not to speak to him again. So it, it sort of shows politicians don't like being called out on what they do wrong, but it's important as reporters to hold those politicians accountable for what they need to be doing. Thanks to Corbin Bolas from Fresh Take Florida. Here's your calendar of events. House Minority Co-Leader Evan Jenny will hold a media availability at 10. This morning, House Democrats will hold an online news conference to discuss the once-a-decade redistricting process at 1. The House Public Integrity and Elections Committee will consider draft definitions to carry out a 2018 constitutional amendment that made changes related to lobbying. That's at 4. Beyond the Capitol, the Healthcare Workforce Coalition, which is made up of long-term care, hospital, and home care groups, will 
hold a media event to discuss staffing shortages. Desmond Mead, who led efforts to pass a 2018 constitutional amendment to restore the voting rights of felons who have completed their sentences, will speak at the Capitol Tiger Bay Club. The British Consul General will host a panel discussion about the return of British travelers to Orlando and the impact on the local economy. Panelists are expected to include Orange County Mayor Jerry Demings. Congressman Charlie Crist, a Democrat running for governor, will meet with Venezuelan community leaders and then discuss health care issues with basketball legend Magic Johnson. That's at three. And Republican U.S. Senator Mitt Romney will take part in a virtual discussion that is part of a Strengthening American Democracy speaker series held by the Institute of Politics at Florida State University. That's at six. Some candidates running to replace Democratic U.S. Representative Al C. Hastings are saying it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Eleven Democrats are on the ballot in Tuesday's primary election. Hastings was the longest-serving member of Florida's congressional delegation before he died in April. Finally, as you jumpstart your day, thanks for tuning in for today's Sunrise. I'm Tremel Gomes, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for a fresh squeeze into Florida's news, politics, and culture.